Welcome to our worship from Seal Church, led by me, Canon Anne Labar. The hymn which ends the service is sung by the choristers of St Martin in the Fields. During the season of Christmas and Epiphany, we remember that Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. His name reminds us that even though we may be separated from one another, we are united in God, who holds us all in his hands. And so we pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, in Christ you make all things new. Transform the poverty of our nature by the riches of your grace, and in the renewal of our lives make known your heavenly glory. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first reading is from the beginning of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. From Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Gospel reading today is from John's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptising with water for this reason that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptises with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. 
When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Near the beginning of John's Gospel, we find people making their way to Jesus. He doesn't seem to seek them out, as he does in the other Gospels. Instead, they're drawn to him. John the Baptist has pointed Jesus out to some of his own followers. The Lamb of God, he calls him, but it's an enigmatic title. Lambs were for sacrifice, associated particularly with the Passover festival, that great moment when the people of Israel remembered the time they'd been led from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the Promised Land. The Passover festival was a great time of rejoicing for the people, but it wasn't such good news for the Lamb. So what's John saying about Jesus? He's hinting at suffering in his future at death, but a death that won't be pointless, but will somehow lead to freedom for his people and a new kingdom. But I expect that John's words would have left his followers with many more questions than answers. What is Jesus going to do? What will it mean for them? Nothing is clear to them, but they want to know more. So off they go after Jesus following at a distance, it seems. Maybe they want to be noticed, maybe they don't. But Jesus realises they're there and turns around to talk to them. What are you looking for, he asks. Their answer sounds a bit odd. Where are you staying? It sounds as if he's caught them off guard, as if they're a bit lost for words and just say the first thing that comes into their heads. They don't ask him who he is or why he's come or what he's come to teach. As answers go, it's a bit lame. What difference does it make where he's staying? Jesus could have answered by simply giving them his address. A third house on the right beyond the butcher's shop or wherever it was. But he doesn't. He hears what they mean rather than just what they say. He hears the hunger lurking beneath the surface of this apparently trivial question. And it turns out that he knows them better than they know themselves. Their deepest need isn't to know where he is. It's to be where he is. And that's a whole different thing. Knowing where Jesus is, knowing about him, if you like, is something we can do from a distance without getting involved. If these men had had his address, they could have said, OK, fine, we'll drop in sometime, and never done it. In the same way, 
We can study the theological literature about Jesus. We can listen to sermons and debate our opinions without ever being touched by him personally. But Christian faith calls us to more than that, just as Jesus calls these disciples to more than simply knowing his address. Come and see, he says to them. And they do, remaining with him that day, says the Gospel. It was about four o'clock when they were invited to go with him, so we have to assume that they sat with him as dusk fell and night came. What did they do? Well, I'm sure they talked about God, about themselves, about him. I'm sure they shared ideas and argued about theology. But if they remained with him that day, they must also have eaten with him, maybe helping to prepare the meal, chop the onions, cook the bread, help with the washing up, light the lamps, stoke the fire. All the everyday things that people do when they spend a decent length of time together. As well as the talk, there must have been silences. As well as the deep theological stuff, there must have been small talk. Pass the salt, mind that chair, it's a bit rickety. And maybe there were other people around too. Family members and friends dropping in and out, making them welcome, joining in the discussion or just wanting to know when dinner would be ready. The joy of this image of the t these two men remaining with Jesus, for me, is in its sheer ordinariness. Its picture of Jesus simply being with them, letting them see him as he was in all his raw humanity, and letting him see their raw humanity too. The word remain in this story, they remained with him, is translated in some versions as abide. There's quite a lot later on in John's Gospel about abiding. It's a word he seems to be fond of. At the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples that they need to abide in him and let him abide in them, just as he abides in his Father. He uses the image of a vine with branches grafted onto it with the life of the parent plant flowing through them. It's no good if those branches are just tied on for an hour or so now and then, though. For a graft to take, it has to be permanent, long-term, abiding. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we hear a bit about what that abiding might look like. He gives thanks for the Corinthians who've been enriched in him in every way, in speech and knowledge of every kind. That's not something that can happen overnight, all at once. It speaks of lives that have been gradually shaped by prayer, by service to others, by coming together to encourage each other, doing the things that God calls us to, in other words. It's no accident that Paul t later talks about them being called into the fellowship of his son, the fellowship. Abiding with God, abiding with one another, just being together in fellowship, in friendship, that's where it all begins. We don't have to have all the answers or be the finished article. We can bring our doubts as well as our faith, our failures as well as our triumphs. We don't have to know all the right words. We don't have to dress up or look respectable. 
we can come as we are. But we do have to show up and stay put in God's presence if he's ever going to do anything with us. The invitation to us, then, is the same as it was for those first tentative disciples. We're invited first to come and see. But Jesus' hope is that having come and seen, we will then remain and abide. And strengthened by the knowledge of Jesus that that will give us, then we can go out and tell the story of what we found, inviting others into that fellowship too. God's call to us is nothing less than to share his life and let him share ours, day by day, on Monday mornings as well as Sunday nights, in the ordinary things we do, in the places where we are. So today, why not take some time just to imagine yourself in that house with Jesus, making yourself at home with him, just as he hopes you will do, How do we feel about abiding and remaining with him and letting him remain with us? What might that mean for us? What will happen if we take him up on his invitation? Amen. And so we bring our prayers to God and we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Christ, who by his incarnation gathered into one things earthly and heavenly, fill you with peace and goodwill, and make you partakers of the divine nature, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.